Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we talk about the iconic John Hughes film, The Breakfast Club, with Simple Minds' Jim Kerr. The Breakfast Club is a teenage comedy drama written, directed, and produced by John Hughes. The film starred Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy as the titular kids brought together by Saturday Detention in fictional Shermer, Illinois. The film spawned memes, quotable lines, and just last week became the subject of a retrospective look in a New Yorker essay by Molly Ringwald entitled, What About the Breakfast Club? Revisiting the Movies of My Youth in the Age of Hashtag Me Too. The Breakfast Club's visuals are iconographic, with the film's poster being lifted by sources as varied as The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 and Archie Comics. However, what's endured most from the 1985 movie has been the soundtrack, and in particular, Simple Minds' Billboard Hot 100 number one hit, Don't You Forget About Me. The song, written and composed by producer Keith Forsey and Stephen Schiff, would be Simple Minds' biggest hit, while also one of the few songs not written by the band's vocalist Jim Kerr or keyboardist Charlie Burchill. Forsey had several instrumentals featured on the soundtrack, along with songs by Wang Chung and 80s soundtrack staple E.G. Daily. It's an impressive array of 80s pop, but Simple Mind's song playing over the closing credits and Judd Nelson's raised fist will forever be linked with the film. We spoke about all of this, as well as Simple Mind's latest album, Walk Between Worlds, with their lead singer, Jim Kerr. <laughs> so much for taking time out of your day to speak to me. Uh, I really do appreciate it. I know that you are dealing with some terrible weather right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm looking at the window. But let's go, Nick. Okay, so uh, don't you beca- uh, forget about me has become very iconic. How did you first become acquainted with the song? How did we first become acquainted with the song? Yes. Um, I think in, um, let me get the, the Dates right. It would have been uh, late, somewhere late 1984, and we were in London, beginning, be, beginning to work, beginning to put together ideas for our next album, our fifth album, which would have been Once Upon a Time was called eventually, and uh, we were um, we were very keen on working with Jimmy Iovine and Bob Clearmountain, and all our thoughts were on. We had a meeting with them, and all our thoughts were on getting together good demos. To uh, They wanted to hear what the band was up to and where we would be going, what the direction would be, and we were in deep working on that. And um, Meanwhile, 
our American record company, because we had a different company in the, the UK, our American record company, um, A&M, were, st were starting to call our manager, detailing the fact that um, they were starting to invest in movies now, and one of the movies they were lined up to do was a new John Hughes movie uh, called The Breakfast Club, and the name didn't mean anything to us because although John Hughes had done previous series of previous movies, they were unknown in the UK, so it didn't mean anything to us. Um, but anyway, the, the, the chat started to come through that there was a soundtrack and maybe we could be involved in the soundtrack. And we thought, cool, you know, whatever enthusiasm coming from America, because we hadn't broken in America and it was good that the record company were thinking about us and all that stuff. So we were kind of like cool. And um, and then it turned out a few weeks later that all of that was true, but there was an additional, uh, um, additional thing. The thing was they did want us involved, but they didn't want any of our songs. There was a song that had been written that John Hughes was wanting in the movie, a song that had been written specifically for the movie, and they wanted Simple Minds essentially to cover that song. Now, as soon as we heard that, we were young, we were brash, <laughs> we were pretty bratty, we were insecure, and we said, no, not interested. We do our own songs. <laughs> you want Simple Minds involved, you take a Simple Minds song. And pretty much that was our position over the next two or three months. It kept coming back and forward, and we were like, nah. and they were saying, but you haven't even heard the song. And we were saying, that's the point. We don't <laughs> want to hear it. We don't care. We do our own songs. Um, so there was a standoff thing that went on, and eventually um, the turning point came on both meeting John Hughes, who was really was a sweet man and full of enthusiasm, and... Um, meeting Keith Forsey, who is uh, just a tour de force, just a guy with great, great energy and someone you would very soon, and meeting him, we knew he was our, our kind of guy and would want to be around him. And so Keith played us what was the song of the demo of the song, and it was a pretty basic demo, and uh, Keith was singing on it, and he was doing a kind of psychedelic first Richard Butler-type voice, which to my ear sounded really good. And I, I said, it's the psychedelic furs you want, not us. And they said, no, no, we used the psychedelic furs <laughs> on the last John Hughes movie. We want Simple Minds. And um, as I said, by that time after meeting them and being charmed by them and being switched on to their enthusiasm, we, we, we responded to Keith's idea that we take an afternoon and go in and work on the song and indeed, that's what happened. We took about four hours. We went in, and we we took it was a pretty thin arrangement, and we we gave it the simple maze treatment, and we came up with the intro, and we came up with the coda, and we came up with the la la las and the hey hey hey's and all of that stuff. And um, it really didn't take a lot from us once we agreed to do it. And that's why when the song went on to have the success that it did and even to this day we feel a little queasy because we sort of feel we didn't we didn't work for that 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 was the doddle that was easy how come because you always associate triumph and victory and real success with blood sweat and tears and all that but but in fact and with hindsight that's a rather naive way of looking at it because 
we did put our heart and soul into the record and into the recording and we gave it the simple mind sounds something we had worked all our lives to create and so we you know we did work for it but um that's how the song and indeed well our involvement with the song and the recording came about were you aware of everyone who had turned down the song when it was first brought to you no and i still don't buy into that because i i don't believe that um um and when you say me why don't i believe it it was an a&m movie they were financing it and a&m wanted a&m bands so they may have gone to the others while we were prevaricating but they wanted simple means does it help to like have contributed your own touches to the song does that make it feel more yours oh absolutely i mean i i i wouldn't want to take away from the song because the chorus and the verses were there but we brought the drama we brought the power we brought we brought the big hooks <laughs> the hooks the, the the hook is the hey 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 ooh ah the hook is the la la la's without that it's a different it's a different record it's a different song i would i would definitely uh, agree with that uh, how yeah. did you respond to uh like i know the the band screened the film like how did yeah. you how did you respond to the film when you first saw it? We didn't get it because uh, when uh, we didn't get nothing to do with the with the performances or anything. But um, you know, it was a teen movie, and we weren't teens. We were twenty four. We were grown up. Uh, um, it it wasn't our bag. And also, in in um, what we didn't get was in the UK, we don't have that uh, <laughs> thing that you have here, that de- detention thing where you got to go into school on Saturday if you've been a bad boy. Uh, so we didn't know. We 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 knew what it was about with the teens and the different tribes. Every you know, you've got the jock and you've got the golf, and we knew about all that. But we were in a French art house movie. So we <laughs> were into Fritz Lang. We were into you know, we were into Italian classic art house. I mean, it it didn't have us jumping up and down. No. So. Um... Was that sort of the aspect of, like, so many other artists of that era, like, repeatedly appeared on soundtracks? Was that one of the things that made this, like, your sort of one-and-done soundtrack appearance? No, I think, uh, I mean, I think we have. You know, when you say there's, there's, there's genuine soundtracks, when you get a, a soundtrack put together to really fit the movie. But the thing about the 80s, particularly, was they, they called them soundtrack albums, and invariably it was... Well, not invariably, but often it was... It was just a way to sell a record off the back <laughs> of a movie. And, and the, you know, you, you got a 30-second a, sound bite of a song, and that was on the soundtrack. But that's not really a soundtrack when you think of... Well, when I think of soundtrack movies, no. Oh no, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's just, that's just a, a sort of incidental. But I mean, like, it's only like part of Simple Minds' career, and you have this very excellent new album that's out uh, called "Walk Between Worlds." Um, the new album has like elements which recall sort of latter era Bowie, especially on like "Sense of Discovery." 
Yeah. Given that song is, uh, as the press release states, centered on the voice of an older narrator passing on wisdom and advice to a younger individual, yeah. does that make Walk Between Worlds sort of like, is that a meditating on getting older? Well, I guess, yeah, you know, you're right. You, 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 I think it's always stronger when you write from your experiences or you write from an idea of thoughts you've had or things you've lived through or, or or whatever. And so, yes, I mean, I think what's kind of cute about the album is, whereas in Magic, the opening track of the album, I'm trying to put myself into what I can recall of my mindset when I was 18. And with Sense of Discovery, definitely it's a much more tempered, Optimism. Someone that's been around the block a few times. Someone that's seen things. Someone that's that's had great things, but also a certain amount of pain. But through it all, is still optimistic, albeit as I say, kind of tempered and 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 maybe a bit more balanced rather than just uh, that youthful um, exuberance, which, which is a great thing. But um, yeah, it's in in the sort of optimism and the faith. It's it's a little further along in the scale. Well, what I find really interesting, specifically about that song, is that it sort of nods to alive and kicking, and then as like a bonus track on the 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 deluxe edition of the album, you have a live cover of "Dirty Old Town," both of which sort of lend this generation spanning sense to the album uh what led you to include that uh that that pogues cover well actually the song we grew up with the song because it's it's the it's the song was written by a fellow called ewan mccall in uh in the 50s and ewan mccall is born in scotland um, um but he grew up in manchester or, or a suburb of manchester particularly called salford and, um, you know, he's written this really beautiful song about Manchester in those days. It was, you know, it was industrial, it was grimy, it was dirty, it was bleak. But within that, love would blossom. And he wrote that great, great song. And, and we grew up with that, that song. And um, we happened to play in Manchester 24 hours late. Last year, we happened to play in Manchester 24 hours after that horrible terrorist oh, um, yes. event at the the concert venue, and um, we wanted to do something for Manchester. We wanted to. We that night was different because the city was it just come out of a state of emergency. It was certainly still in a state of shock and sadness, and um, we wanted to offer something something poignant, and, and that, that life goes on. And so, Dirty Old Town, we knew that was a song about Manchester, and, and, and it made kind of sense to try and offer that up. We did it once at the soundcheck, and we recorded it on the night, and uh, listening back the next day, we, we thought it it just felt rather special and and something to include um, as a bonus, as, as as a real bonus, not just a bonus in name. No, it seems to work really well, and... You saying that like it's a song that you've been listening to for for so long, like I mean that really does like generation spanning. I mean, this is like a song of your yeah. your childhood, and yeah. you've got you nod to like yeah. one of your hits from the eighties, and it's a new album. It, yeah. It's 
it's really quite wonderful. Um, I guess my, my, my last question is like in, in terms of uh, like mental space, it's, it's very, it's very wide, but like the album's very concise. Like, why did you keep the album so like tight in an era of like sprawling records, thanks to streaming and other digital platforms? Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head there. A huge bugbear of ours, and actually it goes back to the, a long time ago to the sort of advent of the, the, the CD. Mm-hmm. When the C, I mean, I don't know what age you are, but, but when the CD came along, the, it was like, wow, this is great because we can break free from the, 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 the construct of the vinyl because, because obviously the pressing of the vinyl maximum maximum you could get on a good pressing a good cut was about 41 42 minutes a lot of so a lot of the great albums were anything from 36 minutes long to 42 when the cd came along apart from anything else it was like great we, you know you can put on another 20 minutes you can put on 13 songs you can put on value for money and all that stuff bogus <laughs> no one's got 13 good songs even the greats didn't have 13 great songs people are you're lucky if you get three great songs uh, um but there's been so much filler and uh, oh the industry wants it you know they want to give value for money it wasn't value for money in the end it just seemed like a rip-off i i thought you had so many cds that with only a couple of good good tracks um no no wonder when Napster came along, people had been burnt so much and just thought, what the hell? Um, um, but anyway, it's been a bugbear of us for a long time because apart from just the thing, there seems to be... It's great when the songs, you sit it so well there, when they sit tightly together, you have a feeling, even if you don't have... You have a feeling of a narrative. You have a feeling of focus. You have a feeling of connection. You have a feeling of an album as opposed to a bundle of songs hung together. You know, when someone gives me 13 songs, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> and, 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 um, and I don't necessarily want to listen to someone for an hour and 10 minutes or, or something. You know, it doesn't matter how great you are, do it in 40 minutes, do it in 42 minutes. Make, it, make every intro count, make every coda count, make every chorus count, make every verse count, I'll be happy. And 40 minutes, if it's done well, really should be enough and that was a kind of goal that we uh that we set for ourselves with walk between worlds in particular wonderful well sir i do believe that is our time thank you so much for, for no taking it's my time. pleasure this has been a real delight my pleasure i thank you for for, for taking the time
Thanks to Jim Kerr for speaking with me. You can find links to purchase The Breakfast Club and its soundtrack, along with more music from Simple Minds, including their latest album, Walk Between Worlds, in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at FromInspiredPod, and you can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and Stitcher as well. Simple Minds can be found on Twitter at SimpleMinds.com and on Facebook at Simple Minds, and their website is SimpleMinds.com. Jim Kerr is on Twitter at JimKerr09. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks talking with Eli Brand about comedy songs and his closing credits for The Joel McHale Show with Joel McHale. Until next time, thanks for listening. Except the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. And an athlete. And a basket case. A princess. And a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club.